I um, <clears throat> met up with a friend yesterday. He's actually, well, I'll, yes, he's a friend. But I'd never met him in person. Um, we'd only ever interacted online. We'd only ever um, communicated with each other. And he's been very kind towards me over the years. He lives in Canada. And he messaged me some weeks back and said, hey, I'm visiting Australia, uh, passing through Australia. And uh, if you could come down to Sydney, I'll have the day and we'll catch up and meet in person and spend some time with each other. And I said, oh, that'd be fantastic. And got up early, went and picked him up from his hotel. And he just so happens to be a pretty avid photographer and he loves nature. And he said, I don't want to be in the city. Can we go somewhere out of the city? And that sounds really good. And um, so he wanted to go for a walk. So I did a bit of research found a national park that wasn't too far away from the city to get some time to go for a walk. And we were going to go for a leisurely 5K walk um, and just chat. Um, either through my ineptitude or our engrossment in conversation, I'm going to blame national parks and wildlife for having poorly signed trails and poorly maintained trails. Our 5K leisurely walk turned into a 12-kilometer adventure um, yesterday. I'm a little bit stiff and sore today. Um, we had to bush bash across a couple of ridges and creeks and all sorts of things. He had a blast. Um, it was fun. At one point, we were both pretty, we were pretty tired. And we found a bit of a spot in the bush south side of Sydney um, in Heathcote National Park. And there was a big rock um, escarpment that we were sort of following the bottom of, trying to find a way to get across somehow. And we discovered this big rocky overhang, a cool cave. And uh, as in cool, it was cool, but it was refreshing. And we sat down in the cave, and a cool breeze came across the valley, and we just both sat there and enjoyed it, uh, chatting with each other. And I was reflecting on it last night after we survived, and he was able to fly back to Canada today uninjured. It would not have been a good look for him to come to Australia to visit, and Chris Thomas killed him on a bushwalk or something. Um, and I was reflecting, and I thought of Psalm 18, where the psalmist says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I refuge, or whom I seek refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. That's how David starts this beautiful psalm in 18. I'll tell you what, I was pretty happy for this little cool um, cave in the side of an escarpment, surrounded by rock, sitting above the tree line, and just looking at God's creation um, was pretty fantastic. Um, I noticed that in that rock, it was pretty rugged. Um, there was growing, if I knew my botany better, I'd, I'd be able to tell you what sort of plant it was, but there was this little plant in amongst the crevice on the rock. And I don't think it's quite, the seasons pass for some of the wildflowers in that area to bloom, but there was this one straggling little plant there and it had just one flower on it. It was a tiny little sapling of a thing. And it had the most amazing flower growing on it in the middle of this sort of rocky area. And I started thinking about what I was going to be 
preaching on today as well. Um, in general, I just don't get the whole flower thing. You ask Kath, she'll confirm it, all right? I've never got the whole flowers thing, really. Uh, just, it doesn't make sense to me. But from one slow-learning husband to another, I have some advice if you're here today. You don't have to get it, all right? Men, you don't have to get it. If your wife likes flowers, just go get flowers. In fact, if you can ruggedly climb up to some mountain pass and pick wildflowers, she'll love that even more, that's fine. Just, you don't have to get it, just go buy them anyway. But, but inside, I just don't see the sense of cutting a flower off a bush, putting it in a glass container and watching it wilt for a week. <laughs> like, I just go, that doesn't make any sense to me. Nonetheless, flowers work. Um, I do appreciate the beauty of flowers, though. I appreciate the beauty of the flower that was growing next to me in the rock yesterday. Um, it was a stunning little piece of God's creation tucked away, and I thought, isn't God incredible? I wonder whoever passes this rocky escarpment. I wonder whoever sits in this cave, and yet here, blooming for everyone to see whether they're there or not, is God showing off, going, look what I can do. This is incredible. Look at my creative brilliance. God drawing glory for himself through his creation. Whether anyone was there to look at it or not, it's just God's character to show how amazing he is. Um, I certainly appreciated it and enjoyed the beauty of it and the cool breeze that blew. It has dawned on me, though, while I've been studying for today's um, sermon, today's passage in 1 Corinthians that we're looking at, Maybe why we do have a fascination with flowers as a human race. Um, you think about it. We give flowers to people as a token of our love because they appreciate it. Um, men, we give flowers to our wives and we know that we've, we've not really lived up to our end of the bargain in the marriage or something and we've let something down and we've like, oh, I'm sorry, flowers, that'll make it better, right? Um, so whether it's a token of our love or as an expression of our sorrow, um, we also give flowers, don't we, by a graveside when we're expressing our goodbyes to someone that we love. And there's often now that time in the service beside a graveside where there's an opportunity for those um, family and loved ones that are gathered to take a flower and to step forward and place a flower onto a coffin. Um, and it dawned on me that there's something about flowers that we are fascinated with that express something beyond the fact that this is just a beautiful little piece of God's creation. A flower's bloom teaches us something, and I think in relation to what we're going to be looking at today, it really is a blazing billboard of hope, a flower. There's something about flowers that, that show us that there's something more about life. Um, it really is a, a beam of light that sort of enters into the shadow of that moment for a little while. And you say, wow, there's something in that flower. And so we're going to talk about flowers. Um, but we're going to talk about what flowers teach us, what flowers show us. And I'm not making this up. Paul actually does the same thing in this letter to the 
church in Corinth. But before we get there, let me just refresh our memories a little bit about where Paul has been for the last few weeks. So we've been in 1 Corinthians 15, we're still there today, and we're going to get close to finishing off that chapter. Um, But earlier in the chapter, back in verse 12, there was this sort of turn in the conversation that Paul's been having with the church in Corinth, um, and he wants to deal with this question that's arisen in the church there, the question that all people may have in in this community even today, where he asked the question, um, hey, listen, I've heard that there are some people who say there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul wants to address why that's not the case, why we can be confident that there is such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And so following verse 12 and all the way down to where we are today, Paul has been grappling with this idea of resurrection the fact that it's so essential to our faith, the fact that we can trust in the hope that we have beyond this life and the life that we have in Christ for tomorrow and for eternity. He talks about the way that the resurrection gives boldness to this life now. He says, hey, you know, if the resurrection wasn't true, why bother going through all the struggles that we might do as a Christian today? And so that's where his topic has been. And that continues today with another question. So before we read it, let's pray and ask the Lord's help, and then we're going to go through this passage. Lord, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for the expression of your glory, and whether that's in um, the power of your word as we read it this morning, and yet we also sense it and see it in simple things like a flower that's growing in amongst the rock, or a cool breeze that blows against us when we're feeling warm, or the way that you Um, lead us and guide us. Um, Lord, you are so good. And so now as we read your word and we expectantly hear your voice this morning. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I just have two things from today's passage. We're going to look um, from verse 35 and we're just going to go to verse 49. And we're just going to think about another question that Paul raises as he talks about this same subject that he has been talking about, which is resurrection. Now, remember back in verse 12, he reflected to the church. He said, hey, listen, there are some people who are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. That's the question that Paul's been dealing with. And from then on, down to verse 35, he's been proving, no, there is a resurrection of the dead. Now comes a second question that Paul has heard. And it's in verse 35. And it says, but someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? And so in this question, there's kind of a sense of cynicism that's existing where Paul's saying, hey, there are some people, firstly, they said, ah, we don't believe in the resurrection. And when Paul answered that question, they sort of shrugged their shoulders and went, ah, well, even if it's true, what sort of body would they have, right? There's still kind of this cynical expression of the fact that, what. Why put hope in the resurrection? What sort of body could a dead person have? Uh, We'll see how Paul responds to that in a moment. We're just going to read from verse 35 to 41 and think about those verses, and then we're going to read from 42 down to 49 shortly. But what I want you to see is that Paul uses language here, which is um, an expression or an analogy from nature, and then he's going to relate that analogy or that picture to something spiritual. And so what we see here is the first little bit is like it's a, it's a shadow. It's a shadow of the things to come. 
And so this is the way to understand this passage. First, Paul talks about the shadow, and then he's going to talk about the light. Right? He's going to talk about the picture, and then he's going to talk about the reality. And so let's read together from verse 35. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. It says this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. Paul was had a real way with words, right? Real pastoral. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting Paul one day. You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. All right, this is the, the shadow picture that Paul wants to talk about. Um, so let's just think about this shadow thing for a moment. The key idea, I think, go back to verse 36. If you want to try and sum it up into one verse and think this is sort of what Paul's talking about, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Remember the question Paul's addressing? People who are cynical about the resurrection, people are cynical about what God might do with our bodies. What sort of body would we have even, right? Even if, we, even if the resurrection is true, what could possibly come of this? Paul's initial address is, oh, you foolish people. And then he backs up a little bit. Oh, no, I'll explain myself, right? Um, so we know right from the outset, Paul's a little bit frustrated at this line of questioning, at the cynicism that happens here. But he wants us to understand something really important. And so he goes to a shadow picture, a, a, a natural picture, an analogy that we can see in this world. Now, I'm not an avid gardener, but I do know enough about gardening to say that um, if I want to grow peas, I don't go and find a bush of peas and dig a hole and just jam that in the ground, right? I know that I need to plant a seed. I need to tend that seed. But what grows out of the ground are not more seeds. Like a giant seed doesn't come out of the ground. A plant does. From that seed, a plant grows, and that plant will grow more peas or beans, um, we have a little veggie patch at home. We try to. It's doing all right if we look after it. Um, yesterday I went out to it to have a pull a few things out of it. Ivy came with me and she's very excited about carrots growing. Um, so excited that she wants to pull them out and check them. See how much <laughs> put them back in. You know, funnily enough, they're just they're coming out pretty poor these days. I don't know how many times you can put a carrot back in before it just stops. Um, but, this, but what went in there was just this tiny little seed initially and then eventually little grassy sprouts come up above the soil and that must be a carrot in there, right? You, oh, not yet, put it back in. <laughs> um, but this is a picture that Paul wants us to grasp a hold of. So you don't have to be a good gardener 
You don't have to be um, a professional gardener. You don't have to be a farmer to understand this. We all understand the basic concept. A seed goes into the ground, but from that seed will come something. You know, yes, the seed contained the, the essence of what was going to be growing, but what becomes of that tree, that, that seed is completely different. It's something looks different. It is different, has a different splendor, a different purpose even. And so Paul wants to draw our attention to that. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The seed, in a sense, is buried, right? The seed is put underground and we think it's gone. What's going to happen to that seed? I don't know. I put some water on it. I let the sun grow on it. And next minute, a little bit of green comes out. And I try to contain my enthusiasm by not pulling it out every third day. And hopefully one day it grows into what God designed it to be. That's what Paul wants us to understand. It's important to understand that because Paul's addressing the question, well, what sort of body will we have in the resurrection? Um, maybe you're thinking about your life right now. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or how fit you are or how able you are, what your health conditions have been like. Um, whether you walk in or whether you wheel in or whatever the situation is, we look at our bodies now and we think, oh man, if I know Jesus, this body of mine is it's kind of breaking down. I tell you, I was freshly reminded about how much my body is breaking down when I was about 10 k's into my walk yesterday um, and thinking, we really need to find that car park soon and get back, you know. Um, I'm not as able and as fit as I used to be um, and I'm aware that our bodies are slowly and inevitably decaying. They're, they're becoming a little bit more decrepit every day um, and you don't feel that necessarily when you're young and vigorous and you think you're going to live forever but there's a lot of people sitting here nodding their heads at the moment because they know what I'm talking about and it doesn't matter what your situation is right now. Jesus talked a bit about this, right? It's funny that Paul uses the language of seeds and dying because Jesus talked about the same thing. In John chapter 12 and verse 23, Jesus told a story um, to some people who were asking him some questions. And he, it says, John, uh, Jesus replied to them in verse 23 of John 12. And he says, listen, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All right. So Jesus is saying to them, hey, that time has come. The Son of Man is going to be glorified. It's going to be spectacular what happens to Jesus. And then he straight away says, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. It remains as it is. Nothing changes. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves this life will lose it. The one who hates this life in the world will keep it for eternal life. That's what Jesus was teaching. Now, remember, he just said, hey, the, the moment's come. The hour has come. I'm about to be glorified. And then he straight away says, hey, listen, but remember, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it produces nothing. So Jesus is using this same analogy to talk about the glory of what will come, but the fact that it must pass through this picture, this analogy of a seed that dies, a seed that goes into the ground. 
a seed that's buried. And then from that seed, well, glory's going to come. What happened when Jesus was going to be glorified? Well, it meant that he had to fall into the ground, one who had died in that sense. And from that seed that's planted into the ground comes a glory that we can't even barely imagine in Christ. And now Paul picks up on the same language that Jesus had and he says, listen, you need to understand the same thing when it comes to your resurrection. So how should we think about our resurrection? We often think about one day when we're in heaven, one day it's all going to be different, one day it will be better if we know Jesus. But here's a way that we can think about resurrection and Paul's teaching us here. It starts with a picture of a garden. It starts with a picture of a seed that falls into the ground. Now remember, he, he outlines there, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 35 down to 41, um, there's a sense where you know, we all know that different seeds produce different things. You know, a carrot produces a carrot, an apple seed produces an apple tree. There's, of course, that beautiful picture of faith in the Bible, the mustard seed. So small, so barely discernible that you hold in the palm of your hand. And yet from that seed, a great tree can grow. And Jesus drew the analogy, didn't he? You just need faith. Not like the whole tree. Don't, don't worry about the whole tree. Just put the little seed in and believe that God can do something great from it. Well, that's, that's how we can think about our bodies. That's how we can think about our bodies when we're in Christ. This body that we have right now. This life that we live right now, with all its challenges, with all of its ailments, with all of its diagnoses, with all of its disappointments, with all the tears that have been spent, the fear that still plagues you at times, all the things that we call life around us, how should we think about that in Christ in relation to what will come? And Paul begins his analogy by saying, think about it like a seed. It's not what will be, but it's what it begins as. And, and we think about what Jesus said about unless that seed falls into the ground, there's a sense where this seed will go. This body that we have, that we cling to, that we hold, that we care for, one day it will go. That's true. And, and some of you have had to say goodbye to people that you love already. You've had to stand beside their grave. You've had to place that flower on top of a coffin. You've had to weep in these chairs or in chairs like them in other buildings as you said goodbye to dad or mum or a brother or a sister or a child. And the grief of that moment is, is heavy. But yet as Christians, those who, who are in Christ, how should we think about that person, that body or even our own? Well, Paul says, think about it like a seed and maybe it will grow into a flower what type of flower will it be we don't know but but it will grow from the seed that was planted so the first thing that i want you to notice from this passage is that there is this picture of a of a garden of a of a plant of a flower of a piece of wheat or something that paul says that seed this life this body it's not what it will be it's not what it will be and maybe you're struggling through some real, very real pains at the moment. Very real griefs at the moment. So the beginning of this picture starts to, to teach us to look beyond this right now. 
Not ignore it, not dismiss it, but see it and see what's beyond it. See what the shadow is right now, but see what the light is that's coming. Because that's where Paul's going with this analogy. So let's keep reading. And we're going to move from shadow to light. This seed analogy, this plant analogy that Paul uses, he says, listen, when it dies, it is reborn. And it's reborn for a spiritual reality. That's what we can put our hope in. So let's read from verse 42 onwards down to verse 49. Verse 42 says, so it is. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So just straight away, we know, right? Paul's been talking about a seed that's planted. And the fact that that seed will grow into something. It will be an expression of what that first seed was, but it will become a plant or a a tree or whatever the analogy might be. And Paul straight away in verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. And now he's going to describe it. Sown... He's using that same language, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in